If you would, turn the Bible to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Today, for the first time in a couple months, we're going to start a new series through the Gospel of John. I hope you are anticipating that, encouraged, excited about it, and ready really to saddle up for a long study with your church, with our church family as we walk through this. It was back in November that we completed the book of Nehemiah. Some of you all remember that. And then Thanksgiving hit, we did a Christmas series. January, we preached through some things, and, and now we have found ourselves ready to start back. Now, John is, John is a long study, 21 chapters, a lot of verses, one of the four Gospels. It's going to take us a long time. I don't know how long it's going to take us. It is our uh, conviction that we're not going to skip over anything. We'll cover all of it. It might take us a long time, but we hope that you will say, you know what? I like it that this church does that, and I want to be a part of it. We, like, we hope that you will be even more committed to being here on Sunday mornings so that uh, you can follow along. And even if you do happen to miss, you want to f- catch up online with listening to it or watching it, um, but that you would say, you know what? I'm ready to be committed to Jesus as the Lord of my life and want to study the gospel of John. That's what we're going to do. It's going to be really, really good for us, okay? So today is going to be a sermon, but it's also going to be a little bit of an introduction, Okay? Introduction from the Gospel of John. So a few things about it. There are four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, You probably know that. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar. John is the one that's a little bit different, okay? Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptics. They see it similarly. Uh, Lots of parables in those. Not a lot of parables in John's gospel. John gives us a lot of story. He wants us to know who Jesus is, which that's what the sermon's gonna be about today. Huge, heavy emphasis here on on Jesus being God and Jesus being love and Jesus being life and light and, and the influence of if you know who Jesus is and you've studied his life, then God will be at work in you and you will trust in him. John is that way. And that's what we're going to study here. Uh, John is written by the Apostle John. There's a couple Johns in the New Testament. We don't want you to get those confused. This is the Apostle John. This is not John the Baptist. A lot of people know that John, John the Baptist, but this is not him. This is the Apostle John, and the Apostle John was one of the 12, and he was inside Jesus' inner circle of Peter, James, and John, um, and that's, that's this guy. This guy, John, wrote five New Testament books. This one, the Gospel, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, which are at the end of the New Testament, and then the final book of the Bible, Revelation. The same guy wrote all of these, okay? He was very, very close to Jesus. His writings are awesome, and uh, we're going we're gonna to benefit from it, okay? Um, here's something neat. John never names himself in this one. Even in all the talk about the disciples, he doesn't name himself. That's an impression of humility, um, but it's also an argument that he is the author uh, because how would you explain John not being named in all the talk of the disciples? Uh, it's, it's, an, it's an argument for him being the author of this. He refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Every time he brings up John, it's the disciple whom Jesus loved, but John is not named here, okay? Uh, the New Testament was written in Greek, and depending on who the author is of each book, there's 27 books in the New Testament, some of it's really technical and intense, and some of it's pretty, like, down-to-earth. John's writings are about the most simple of all the New Testament Greek. That's pretty cool. Remember, he was a fisherman. 
We don't take him to be the most educated guy in the world. His Greek is some of the most simple that we have in the New Testament. And what we're going to study today is called the first 18 verses. It's called the prologue. It's like an introduction. And it has been said that while the prologue of John's gospel is the simplest language in the New Testament, it teaches the most profound truths of the New Testament. I want you to kind of hang on to that today through the message, but also through our whole study. We have the Apostle John writing in the most clear layman's terms, down to earth, our type of guy, right? And yet, he still teaches the deepest and best, most meaningful and profound, the big, grand truths about God. That's what our study is going to be like. Now, John does us a big favor, and it's the passage that we just read. In John chapter 20, he tells us why he wrote this book. So this is key. At John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, he says this. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John writes what he writes, this big, full gospel, so that when you hear about Christ, you would believe. Church, let's make no mistake about it. We're about to embark on a big, long study of the Bible, the Word of God, and the Gospel of John. But the goal here of ours, and the goal here of God's Word, is for you to believe. And I kind of want to do an, an invitation here at the start because I'm really bad about our sermons going long and us feeling uncomfortable in the invitation at the end. I want to ask you or challenge you or encourage you that you would this day make a commitment to Christ. Perhaps you're here today and you've been considering that for some time. Would you today say, I'm gonna be a follower of Christ? And this new study in John is exactly what I needed. If you're a teenager here today and you've been thinking about it, I want to encourage you to believe in Jesus. If you've never said, I want to be a Christian and gone public with it, would you do that today? Because the gospel of John is going to push us to see that Jesus is it. He is the main thing. He is what life is all about. And would you believe in him? Would you ask God to forgive you of your sins and believe that he died and rose again for you? Would you ask God to become the most important thing about your life, to be the God of your life and the Father of you and your Father in heaven and Christ be the Lord and Savior that you live for? This is what we want today's message and this study to be about. Today we're gonna preach through the prologue. That's the first 18 verses. If you look at the Bible, You'll notice that there are this section at the beginning, first 18 verses, and then verse 19 is really kind of where the gospel starts. The gospels are the stories of the life of Jesus. And at verse 19, this one starts at such a good place. It starts with John the Baptist. That's, that's common. That's familiar. You see this in the gospels. He's the one who came right before Jesus to introduce him. And here we go. Now his life story ministry is underway. 
But before it actually starts at verse 19, you've got what's known as the prologue. And a prologue is just like a a statement, a word, an essay, a a message that comes before something before you read it. If you've ever read a book before, you'll often see that before page one, before chapter one, before it says, once upon a time, long time ago, there's a little thing that they want you to read before. And just reading that will give you some stuff you need to know before you read the main thing. And that's what this is. John, in his masterful writing, gives us a prologue, and it is loaded. It's just a big section loaded with truths from God that you and I need to hear and know and understand and believe on before we start to now study the biography of Jesus, the life of him. It's going to be good for us today to cover this. We could take the prologue and seriously spend 18 weeks or so on it. But today I'm going to try to cover the prologue in just one introductory message. When I was a kid growing up in Charlotte, North Carolina, and we would go over to my grandmother's house, one thing I remember, there's lots of things I remember, but one thing I remember is that my, my grandmother had a poster of Elvis Presley in her house. And I remember as a kid going, I don't think adults have posters. That's like a kid thing. And if they do, it's not a rock star. My grandmother had a poster of Elvis Presley in her house, and I remember thinking, that's, that's weird. And I remember asking about that, and I remember my dad's, my dad's mom, I remember my dad saying, boy, she loves Elvis. She knows everything about Elvis, and y'all are familiar with that generation and how many people were into Elvis. She knows everything about Elvis. She could tell you everything about him, you know, that, that type of a thing. And then as I've grown up, I've found myself into some interests and hobbies, and there's some things that I am into and want to learn a whole lot about. Tonight, we'll watch the Super Bowl, and there's going to be millions of people watching the Super Bowl because they don't like football or the Super Bowl, but there's one particular fan that'll be in the crowd tonight that lots of people love and know everything about, and they're going to watch just because of her. I had a young girl this morning say, I'm pulling for the team that uh, her boyfriend is on. That's the way it is. And we get into things, right? And we're like, man, I love this person or this thing, and I want to know so much about them. And we become fans, and we can tell you their birth date and their sales and their records and what they do and what their accomplishments are and their hobbies, and we get like that. And that's all fine and good. No shame in it, honestly, no shame in it. We all have our things that we're into. But this prologue today is going to give us an incredible introduction to Jesus. And I dare say that today, on an overview type of way, you're going to learn a lot about Jesus today that will then catapult us through a long study, and you will grow deeply, deeply in your faith and in your love with Christ. That's the goal. That's what we hope. We want you to say, I know who Jesus is. I know what he's like. I know a lot about him. And that's why I follow him. That's why he's the king to me. That's why he's the most important thing in my life because I know all of these things about him that are true. Read with me, if you will, from John chapter 1, verse 1, 1 through 18. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world, and he was in the world. And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God." And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Jesus is the one that God has sent to save people. Jesus is the one that God has sent so that sinful and lost people like ourselves would come to know God. And today we begin to study that. Very quickly, I have 13 points for you. You kids with the listening page, you see all 13 there. And if we give two minutes each, that'd be 26 minutes, and we are still at lunch by noon, okay? Number one, from the prologue of John... Jesus is God. Look how John begins his gospel. Those three words that are so familiar to all under the umbrella of church and Christian, in the beginning. And John knows what he's doing here. He says in the beginning because he wants to take you back to when the Bible first said in the beginning, where the Bible begins in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When you hear in the beginning, you think about the creator who created everything. And saying that, he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Who is the word? Well, reading this prologue makes it crystal clear that the word is Jesus. It's a masterful name of God for him. If you look down to verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father. There is no mistaking that the word of John 1 is Jesus. He is the living word and the revealed word and the word in the flesh. He is the ultimate communication of God, the message of God in a person. Christ is. And verse one tells us that not only was he there in the beginning, not only was he with God in the beginning, but he was God in the beginning. Jesus is God. 
the Bible, and specifically John, wants us to know we are not talking about just one of God's great people in the history of the world. We are talking about God, God's Son, the second person of the Trinity. We are talking about Jesus Christ. In John chapter 8, which we'll get to some months down the road, Jesus is in an argument with the, the, the people of Israel, and they are saying that they are closer to God because of Abraham, who long ago was their great, 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 great father. They're connected to Abraham. And Jesus says to them, before Abraham was, I am. I've been around way longer, way longer than Abraham, Jesus says. Jesus is God. The New Testament teaches this. We are not to deny this. Jesus is God, verse 1 says it. Number two. Jesus is the Son of God. And I know that this is something that you're going to be puzzled by, but that's what the Bible teaches, and we're not going to question that. Verse 1 says he was God. Verse 14 says he's the Son of God. The Bible through and through says this. The Bible teaches that God is a trinity, a three-in-one, three persons in the one true God. There is no question about it that there's only one true and living God. It is said everywhere in the Bible that there is one true and living God, but Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are that God Father being, uh, being a, a spirit, Holy Spirit being the spirit agent that the, uh, that the Father sends out, and the Son being the God-man. R.C. Sproul writes, that the Word was with God. You see that there in verse 1? He was with God. He was God, and he was with God. You have both of those there in verse 1. He writes that the word was with God indicates a distinction of persons within the unity of the Godhead. The Godhead is how we refer to the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not successive forms of appearance of one person. This is not the analogy of water, that water can be uh, steam or, 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 or liquid or it can be ice. This is not that. It's not all three at the same time. The Holy, it's, that's not a good analogy, okay? The Holy Spirit... The Son and the Father are God. He goes on to say, are not successive forms of appearance of one person, but are eternal persons present from the beginning. The Father is eternal. The Son is eternal. The Holy Spirit is eternal. They have no beginning and they have no end. Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for your sins, is God. That's why he is this sinless, perfect sacrifice. Nobody created could die for you. Nobody sinful could die for you. Nobody limited could die for you. Only God's holiness could be the satisfying punishment for our sins. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Number one, he's God. Number two, he's the Son of God. Number three, Jesus is the creator. Look at verse two. He was in the beginning with God, verse three. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Everything ever created has been made by God and made by Jesus and made by the Holy Spirit. And the point being made here is that Jesus is that. Jesus is creator. He was involved in creation. It's masterful. This isn't the only place that says it. The Bible says it a lot. 
Colossians chapter 1 says it this way. If you don't know these verses, these are big ones to take notes on or to flag. Listen to this. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. Colossians 1.16 And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I don't care if it's another church, or if it's another denomination, or another religion, or a different lifestyle, or anybody else in the world who wants to downplay the authority of Jesus, where Jesus has told us himself in Matthew 28 that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You do not play around with the authority of Christ. He is holding the universe together with his power. Not just God. And the big man upstairs and the good man upstairs and however else we want to refer to him. The person, the Lord Jesus Christ that died for you is the creator. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, he upholds the universe. Think about this. By the word of his power. The sun, the stars, the galaxies, the creation is upheld by the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number four, Jesus is the life. Look, it says it in verse four, in him was life. What a statement. We know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life, eternal life. We know that, but but he's not just the, the gift of heaven. He is actual life. The Bible teaches that we are dead in our sins and trespasses and the wages of sin is death and we are all under the curse of the struggle of this life and the devil trying to keep us without Jesus and the Bible wants us to know that it is through Christ that you find life, that God gives peace and fullness in his presence through Jesus. If you feel like you're hardly living, come to Jesus. Believe in him. As I said at the beginning, I want the invitation from the start. And I'm thinking mostly about our teenagers, even though I'm thinking about everybody. If you've never come to Christ so that you would have fullness of life, do it today. Trust in him. Number five, Jesus is not only life, but Jesus is light. Look what it says here in verses four and five. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There's lots of different ways that we could describe darkness these days, whether it be like evil and and crookedness, whether it be negativity and discouragement, depression that we're living in, and and there's just not a lot of light in, in, in your life. The Bible wants you to see that the life giver is also the light giver. And the darkness that we experience in our lives can only be overcome by the light of Jesus. Just a couple weeks ago, I preached that sermon on John the Baptist and the burning and shining light that he was. And if you were here, you remember me saying that there there is a light that shines because there's a fire that burns. And in that, we talked about Jesus being the light of the world so that in Jesus being the light of the world, he can then say to his people that you are the light of the world because in John 8, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. But in Matthew 5, he says, you are the light of the world. Well, how's that possible for me to be the light that he is? How's it possible for you to be the light that he is in this dark world? 
Well, you're right. It's really, really impossible. Like for the camel to go through the eye of a needle, impossible. And the only way is for the light of Jesus to truly be in you. Not the gifts of Jesus, not the goodness of Jesus, not the, not the things that he can give, but actual a relationship in Christ. And I urge you today to believe in him. Commit to Jesus. Number one, he's God. Number two, he's the son of God. Number three, he's the creator. Number four, he's the life. Number five, he's the light. Number six, Jesus has his witnesses. Look at verses six through eight. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Okay, this is not John the apostle because I already told you he doesn't name himself. This is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. Why did he do that? That all might believe through him. That's what all ultimate witness is about. I preached on that just a couple of weeks ago too. We here at our church are not gonna dumb down witness to simply being good people in the world. Light to us is not just out there being polite and doing the right things. It's a part of it. It's under the umbrella of it, but it's so much more to that. Witness to us is to point people to Jesus Christ who loves them and died on the cross for their sins. Witness to us is to get you to believe or to urge you to believe or to ask you to believe that God might cause you to believe. John was a witness so that all might believe through him. One awesome characteristic of John, as verse 8 says, He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. John, in being a witness, knew that it was not about him. John wasn't here to get people to look at him. John was here to point you to look at Jesus. And God has his witnesses. Yes, he does. They're all over the place. I want to encourage you to be a witness for Christ. The very way that God is at work in you, he can be at work in the next person in your life if you would be a witness to him. If you would commit right now to be a a follower of Jesus, and then the witness that you just become kind of uh, organically because you now trust in him, other people will then be exposed to him. It's the domino effect of how God works in the world. You ain't got to be fancy. You don't have to go to any super training. You fall in love with Jesus, and next thing you know, there's life change, and other people start to see that. God has those witnesses in the world. I dare say all over the world, God is working. If you look around right now and you think in your little place, the street you came from, the school you go to, the office you work in, the country that you came from, because in in, in a beautiful way, our church has all types of representation, even this morning, from lots of different countries. The country you came from, the language you speak, if you're thinking about your people, whoever that is, your, your lunch table today, or your grand family, or whoever else, if you're thinking about they don't really know Jesus, would you believe? that God has witnesses, and it is his calling upon your life for you to be that witness. John the Baptist was that, pointing people to Jesus, and you and I are to hear that we are to be witnesses too. Number seven, here's a hard truth. Jesus is rejected. Look at verses nine through 11. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world he was in the world, and the world was made through him, another, another reference to him being creator, yet the world did not know him. Verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. It's horrible to think about that people don't like their maker, 
The people prefer darkness over light. The people prefer death over life. But it's the reality of the world. It's not just the climate of 2024. It's not just the climate of our nation in a political season. It's the reality of the world for all time. Our lostness causes us to run in any direction, really, than Jesus. Our lost and sinful hearts will cause us to think anything but him. Let me get into another relationship that will just lift me up. Let me get more money and everything will be okay. But I'll do something other than bow my knee and my heart to the Lord of life, Jesus Christ. People reject him. You today know people that reject him. Here it says so plainly, he came and they did not receive him. I want to say first to you, don't let that be the case for you. I don't know how many days you got left or how many years you have left. I don't know how near dark, dark, dark discouragement, depression could be to you. I don't know how concerned you are about how slippery a slope this life can be into a dark place. But I encourage you today to not reject Jesus. Don't reject Jesus thinking, well, I'm living in the the best years of my life, and at some point in a few years, I'll get around to him. Don't think that way. Take it. Take it from the word of God that the best years of your life will be when you surrender all to Christ. Do not reject him. And be inspired that those that do reject him around you can be witnessed to by your devotion to him. Number seven, Jesus is rejected, but number eight, Jesus is received. Hallelujah. Look at verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There are a lot of people out there rejecting him, but praise the Lord, there are a lot of people out there also receiving him. There are people here today, based off an invite, who are here today thinking, I want to see what this is about. I want to hear. And I want to tell them everything I possibly can. That's why it's 13 points. We want them to know about Jesus, and people do receive him. There are, I know that there are. There are people sitting here right now, teenagers even, who are sitting here thinking, can I do it? Should I do it? I want to do it. Yeah, but what, what would happen? What happened to this relationship? What happened to this? What happened to my life? Receive him. There are many of you here, when I remember when you got baptized, there are some of you here waiting to get baptized. There are some of you that have received Jesus in the last year. People can receive him. You can say, I'm going to surrender my life to him. I'm going to trust in him. Notice how much this thing of receiving Jesus is for anyone and everyone. He gave the right to become children of God. All, it says in verse 12, but to all who did receive him, you can become a child of God. It's a universal offering. Jesus will accept anyone who comes to him. Verse 9 uses the word everyone. He gives light to everyone. Verse 12 says, but all. It's, 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 it's a universal offering to receive him. Back-to-back points, 7 and 8. Don't you be the one that rejects him. Be the one who receives him. That's number 8. Number 9, Jesus is a human. Talked about this already in my first couple of points. 
You gotta know it if you're gonna be a real Christian. Jesus is not only God, but he's also a human. Look at verse 14. This is, a, this is the most important phrase in the prologue. The word became flesh. He, he, he received this. Jesus Christ is a human being. He got tired and he slept. He got hungry and he ate. He got emotional and he cried. He was a human. He lived. We've studied his life. We're studying his life now. He's 100% God. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. And he's 100% man. He was born of a woman. Came out of her. He's like us in every way. The Bible says he's been tempted like us in every way, except he resisted and never sinned. He's a human. This is what makes the incarnation such a big deal. We study this at Christmas every year. The virgin birth, God became a man. That's what this is about. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And this is precisely what allows God to be just in paying the price of sin. God cannot die. The God-man could. Jesus Christ, the God-man, hung on a cross for you and I and gave his life. It is because of the uniqueness of Jesus' humanity that he was willing and able to die for us. Now, just to help you get it right, okay, Jesus is God and Jesus is human. He's a man. He's eternal God. He's always existed from the beginning and he exists forever, but he's not eternal human. There was a time when he wasn't a human, so get that right, okay? There was a time when he took on flesh. Up until God made Mary pregnant, Jesus was not a human, but in that moment he became a human. So he was a baby and he was a kid and he was a young man and he grew up. All of this glory and masterpiece of teaching and doctrine found inside of Christ is so that you and I would know that when Jesus Christ hung on the cross, the holiness of God was being sacrificed for our sinfulness. And if whoever will trust in him, he will take your sins away for you forever and you will get his holiness forever by faith. You don't earn the goodness of God. You don't earn the righteousness of God. You don't obey to get the righteousness of God. It's not your obedience that makes you holy in the sight of God. It is Christ. Christ's holiness. And when he died on the cross, there was the great exchange. Shane and Shane said it was an unfair deal on the part of Christ. He got my sins. I got eternal life. Because he's the God man. Number 10, Jesus is glorious. Look at the end of verse 14. And we have seen his glory. See, this is John the Apostle. He, He lived day and night with Jesus for three years. There's no doubt in him now by the power of the Holy Spirit that this is the worthy Lamb of God. He is glorious. He says, we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. There's a lot of glory in the world. Tonight we'll celebrate some teams basking in Super Bowl championship glory. The glory I speak about today from John chapter 1 is on a whole other level. This is one who is worthy of all worship. This is one who is worth all creation to cry out to him. 
One day, every knee will bow and say that Jesus is glorious and worthy. One day, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and the most important one of all. You reject him. You don't do it now until you have to do it. You receive him and you say, I love this Jesus, my Savior. He's worthy of my life. Some of y'all might remember our study through Revelation a while back where Revelation gave us this masterpiece of imagery of Jesus surrounded in Revelation by everything ever, by everyone, every person, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, all of creation, everything worshiping him. It says that he deserves it. It even says it like this. Notice these seven descriptive words. Worthy are you to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and glory and honor and blessing. Whatever in this world or in your life is up there, superlative, great, awesome, your money, your smarts, your success, whatever it is, he deserves it all. He's glorious. The right thing to do and the best thing for you is to trust in him. Number 11, Jesus is gracious. Look at 15, verse 15. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, look at this, we have all received grace upon grace. Wow. I want you to know the grace of God through Christ. Jesus has more grace than you have sin. When you think you cannot confess it to him because your attitude's been so bad or your waywardness has been so strong, you are not believing in the fullness of Jesus that he has grace for you. You are not too messed up. You are not too sinful for the overflowing grace of Jesus. He forgives people. There's an old hymn we sing that says, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. You may come with a lot of sins. He comes with more grace. You can bow your head and your heart and ask him to forgive you believing that he died for you, and he will. It's unfortunate that these days we have so many people and so many young people feeling like they're failures. I don't exactly know how we got to this point, but we're certainly in it, are we not? People feeling like they're failures. I want you to know that in Christ, there is grace upon grace for all of our failures. He will receive you with all of your shortcomings. He will satisfy your soul. He'll cause you to look in the mirror and not worry so much about you, but to be happy that you know him. He has grace for you. As we get further in this study of John, weeks down the road, you are gonna see how gracious Jesus is. I guarantee you, you'll be amazed at the grace that there is in Christ and the way he treats people and the way he reacts and his patience and his kindness and his goodness. 
Nobody is too, too bad or too far gone. Jesus leaves the 99 sheep because he wants to go get the one that has strayed and wandered. Hear the message today. Do not live under sin and its guilt. Do not live in shame and condemnation because you refuse to come to Christ. Do not reject Christ in that way and so live in that moment. That is not from Jesus. Trust in the one who has grace upon grace for us. Live in the grace of Christ. That's number 11. Number 12, Jesus is the truth. Look at verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is not to say that the law is bad. It's not to say that Moses was bad. It is to contrast the purpose of the law with the purpose of grace that comes through Jesus. The law was intended to show you that you sin. If we want to walk through the Ten Commandments right now, before we leave, every one of us would go, well, I've broken that one before. The law was intended to show you I'm not God. I'm not the Savior. It's not all about me. I don't have a free pass straight into judgment in heaven because I'm so good. No, the law quickly takes care of that. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And in your sinfulness, do not run away from him. Run to him in his grace. Jesus gives grace and truth. Now, this is kind of the overarching title that we're going to use for our whole study of John, grace and truth. Because those two big words, grace and truth, are massive in the Bible, God is the truth, and he's gracious gracious towards us who sin against him. These words, grace and truth, are are, are huge. And there's a connection, there's a correspondence to the Old Testament's use use of steadfast love and faithfulness. And we'll see this more and more. R.C. Sproul writes, The word made flesh, so Jesus becoming a human, The word made flesh fully manifests the gracious, covenant-making and covenant-keeping character of God. We're not confused on how a holy God who's out there and unseen can accept and receive and like sinful people like us. It's It's not a mystery anymore. In Christ, grace and truth come to us, and we believe. Lastly, number 13, Jesus makes God known. Look at verse 18, our last verse. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The world is filled with people that have their views on God. Being an atheist and saying you don't think there's a God or being an agnostic and saying you don't know what to think about God is a very, 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 very small percentage of people in the world and in the history of the world. That is a rare group. Most people throughout the history of the world know that there's a God. The conscience bears witness within, Romans says. But getting that God and understanding him is a whole other thing. In steps Jesus, the God-man, who came to us to make him known. As we get going on the gospel of John and however long it takes us, this is what we're going to do. We're going to study Jesus so that we would know God. And that's John's whole purpose of writing, as I already said, from John 20 that you would believe and have life. 
I ask you today to not only commit to being a part of a church that studies the word of God. I ask you today to commit to Jesus, the one who loves you and gave himself for you. If you are ready to go public and follow Jesus, make the decision today and trust in Christ. We want to do that with you. We want to lead you well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus and his fullness and John's prologue that tells us so much about him. Father, we thank you that your word gives us what we need. We ask, dear God, that we would be believing. Oh God, help us to not just come and hear it. Help us not to let it slip through our ears or be distracted so that we don't take it in. Father, we pray that we would be believers. We pray, God, for life and light and grace and peace and reception of Jesus. Father, cause your word to get into us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're gonna sing one final song, and as we do...